happy post-Halloween Christmas displays are already popping up in Vegas Friday. But the news doesn't stop during this funky time. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I'm joined by MJ Lyle of the Nevada Current and Review Journal editor Lorraine Longy to talk about the city's efforts to make a no misdemeanant zone a surprisingly nasty volley between Speaker of the Nevada Assembly and the CCSD superintendent. And water, water, not everywhere, but some people are using way more of it than the rest of us. It's Friday, November 3rd. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. MJ Lyle and Lorraine Longy, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Morning, David. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, MJ, you're a frequent flyer here. Uh, Lorraine, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you on board. And boy, we do have a bunch of news to talk about. So let's just jump right into it. MJ, the city has again proposed an ordinance impacting the area around the so-called downtown resort corridor. What are they up to now? So the city of Las Vegas is proposing its own order out quarter ordinance. Uh, Clark County actually adopted something last year that was similar language. What it is, is their attempt to go after quote unquote chronic offenders. And so if you've been arrested in the area, you could get an order from the judge to stay out of that area. But if you come back, you will be arrested on site. Like I said, they're saying this is an attempt to uh, crack down on chronic offenders, but uh, others don't see it that way. The ACLU says this is a violation of civil rights. Um, this is going to be used to target street performers, unhoused folks, and people just committing low-level offenses that shouldn't be uh, subjected to, to criminal arrest. And so uh, this was just referred to the council. It was heard at the recommending committee this week, and it will be voted on the council uh, uh, later this month. And the recommending committee, uh, I'm assuming, just let it sail through? Yeah, they actually let it sail through with some amendments and some uh, proposals because originally it was just around the Fremont Street area, but the Strat Hotel inquired about putting that around their area too, so it encompasses more um, more of the resort areas in the in the Las Vegas area. And so, is it essentially if you see a casino, there's a bubble around that? Is that how they basically decided to do that? If they pass that, that's exactly what it is. Like we're protecting the 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 casinos, the poor defenseless casinos. Um, <laughs> the city of Las Vegas, along with the city of Henderson, joined a bunch of other cities in the re- western region uh, on an amicus brief challenging um, or asking the the United States Supreme Court to overturn two rulings that. Um, look at how cities have the ability to criminalize unhoused folks if there is not adequate shelter. And so it's not out of the question that this could be another tactic to just look at the unhoused folks that are in the area and another way to mitigate them coming into the area and interacting with tourists. And But this doesn't really get to the root cause of why people are unhoused. So, but that's another spiel. You know that spiel. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to talk about that in a second, but Lorraine, like assuming that it is true, and I have no reason to doubt that there are at least a quantifiable number of people who who are engaged in repeat arrest, what they're calling chronic offenders. Uh, do you think that this is an effective means of, I, I don't know, um, dealing with people who get arrested a lot in those areas? 
Um, you know, it's it's actually fascinating. So I'm I'm from Las Vegas, and you know, I was born here, and I actually used to go to school downtown. It's kind of a now defunct. A Catholic school that's not around anymore. And I remember even at that age, you know, homelessness and people being unhoused were an issue in those areas. And um, <clears throat> I think I have the unique perspective of coming back. I moved back to Las Vegas last year and, and uh, you know, seeing your hometown through adult eyes, you know, after being away for, for a long time. And I just think these conversations have been around for a long time. And, yeah. um, you know, whether or not this is kind of like idea of like predictive policing or, you know, um, just kind of trying to anticipate who your chronic offenders are going to be uh, is going to pan out, I think remains to be seen. But just speaking from the experience as a local, you know, I just I just know that these are issues, I think, that have been prevailing in that area uh, since I was growing up here and, and since I was going to school down there, you know. So. You know, it's funny, Lorraine, you, you said the word predictive policing, and all of a sudden, all I can think about is the movie Minority Report, which, uh, spoiler, doesn't really work out as a good system of enforcement. Uh, and essentially, I think what they're saying is like, look, we know you've committed crimes in the past, so now... If you're standing in this particular area, we're just going to arrest you again because you're probably about to commit a crime. I, I mean, is that in any way an effective system of reducing homelessness? <laughs> you know, does, does, is there a disconnect that I'm missing? You know what? I've actually been commenting to people recently that uh, I, I think living in Las Vegas is a lot like living in a, a cyberpunk future. <laughs> so oh I just wanted to say <laughs> that, um, you know, I really appreciate, right, uh, you mentioning the you know Minority Report and kind of referencing it in the framing of this question. I do think it's really interesting because while that is a story about predictive policing, it's also fundamentally about the ethics of you know, meeting out punishment before people can exercise their own free will, right? And, you know, maybe change their future regarding a crime, um, even if, you know, law enforcement is kind of speculating or anticipating that will happen. So I think the difference here is going to come down to how exactly this is enforced, right? Which I know we've been having a lot of conversations in our newsroom about um, how exactly this is going to be uh, enforced and, um, you know, what that's going to look like for people moving around down, down in that area. One of the proposals, and I will clarify, they never mentioned this is for unhoused, but they rarely ever do when they talk about certain ordinances. But one of the things they did for sure mention is compiling a list, potentially having photos of individuals, which is kind mm -hmm. of, that should bring a lot of questions. I wish there was a lot more conversations from the council about the impact of just having a list of people that could, as the ACLU has said, have the, the, their constitutional right to walk in the area. I think one of the questions that the executive director from the ACLU posed is, what happens if there's a protest down there or any other activity that you want to uh, go partake in in that Fremont Street area? Like, how does how are you able to give up your constitutional rights to get out of that area? And how how is it effective just to have them for law enforcement have a list of you and just remove you? How's that solving this problem? Lots of questions. Well, it's also weird. Like, you could stand on one side of the street and you're fine, law-abiding citizen. You cross the street and all of a sudden now you are a criminal uh, subject to arrest just literally for moving across the street, which does seem to me to be a little preposterous. But, I, I mean, as we talk about just, like, this bubble around Fremont Street experience and even the Strat, I, I, does it feel like a debate about the soul of casinos and the Fremont Street experience. I mean, it's like, theoretically, it's been found to be a public forum where people have the right to public expression. And I'm just wondering if these commercial entities uh, that drive funds to the city, of course, are like, we need to be protected 
uh, we don't really care about anything else except that. Is is that the battle that's happening here? Isn't that the Nevada way? Oh my God. But is that the battle here? And where's the balance? Two questions. Is this the policy that actually prevents and gets to the root cause of that crime to actually solve this issue outright. Like if you see someone that is constantly unhoused getting arrested in the area for a different type of misdemeanors, just to keep in mind, we have misdemeanors in Las Vegas that are like sitting on a bus bench or improper use of a bus, bus bench or possession of a shopping cart, just to keep it in mind. If we're seeing this over and over again and arresting over and over again, what are we doing to actually get to the root cause of uh, of him being unhoused, whether it's looking at housing solutions, looking at mental health solutions. Like, what are we doing to actually do that? And is the rest contributing to that? And going back to the monetary value of the resort industry, which is something that we hear a lot about on the Strip, resorts get to dictate a lot of policy just because of the sheer revenue that they bring into this economy. Sure, but do they contribute in the same fashion to solving the problems outright too? Like, are they paying their fair share to actually solve these policy solutions? And so do you, are you just having a say in what type of policing that you want, what type of city you want without contributing in the ways that actually uh, bring about those solutions? That's my question for them. Yeah, front end versus back end. I mean, I just hope if they are in fact going to use this to target individuals um, that they deem, quote-unquote, problematic or chronic offending, that they are communicating with social services, too. And it's not just a carceral solution, but maybe something a little bit more holistic. So if you're listening out there, marshals, like, talk to social services, get HMIS involved, you know, like, figure it out. Like, let's let's help these folks not be chronic offenders as opposed to let's punish them because they are being who they are. Yep. All right, next issue. Assembly Speaker Steve Yeager made a surprisingly direct statement this week, maybe a cannonball blast towards another official, is a better description. Lorraine, spill me some tea. <laughs> yeah, so yesterday morning, uh, Speaker Yeager, who is the elected leader of Nevada's Assembly or you know the lower house of the state legislature, uh, came out with a statement calling for Superintendent Jesus Jara, who leads the public school district here in Clark County, to resign. Yeager said Jara has completely lost the trust of the public Ooh. and has squandered the opportunity to address teacher vacancies uh, in Clark County classrooms, uh, you know, on top of failing to raise teacher pay and, and morale. So, um, you know, the school district subsequently fired back with a statement saying that Jara is going to remain in his position and sure. uh, he will do so as long as the board of trustees wants him to do so, which is kind of, you know, um, has its own uh, fraught history there. Um, but that no bullying, pressure, harassment, or coordination with the leadership of the teachers union is going to deter him from doing his job. So I think a lot of uh, right, a lot of lore is at play there uh, in terms of um, uh, right coming out with with such a strong statement, like you said. And I think there's a lot of history that has been building up to this kind of statement coming out from uh, from the legislature and specifically, um, you know, Yeager. Yeah, I mean, public sentiment about Jara has been uh, on the uh, uh, trending sour <laughs> for a little a little while now. Why, why release this forceful of a statement? Why does Jaeger come out blaring those guns, and why now? 
Right. I mean, that's a great question. You know, Jara has had, you know, a somewhat fraught and controversial tenure in the district. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, the school board, um, you know, to the district's point, the school board actually voted to fire Jara. And then shortly thereafter, you know, subsequently rehire him. JK. JK. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But then, right, they did ultimately, uh, on a very thin margin, subsequently, uh, you know, rehire him. And, uh, you know, it was a move that I think was, you know, pretty controversial across the district, um, in which many people have kind of held up as a sign of of the dysfunction in the districts. Um, But ultimately, to the district's point, you know, the, the Board of Trustees did vote to retain him and, and has voted subsequently to to keep him on board. Um, so, you know, to your point about timing, you know, um, I don't know that this is coming out of nowhere. Earlier this year, uh, Democratic lawmakers did summon school district leaders, including Jara, to the legislature to kind of um, account for how they were going to be using the new investment, the new uh, $2, $2 billion in proposed funding to 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 help public schools and public education. And, you know, ahead of that meeting, we had actually reported that uh, the questions that were sent out to school district leaders at that time um, about what they were supposed to be addressing in front of lawmakers uh, were actually authored by by the teachers union. So, you know, I think the the district is hitting on some of those kind of those tensions. Uh, in you're you're sounding they... like it's a conspiracy, Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just trying to point out, you know, and give context to, I I think, why the school district is coming out and maybe touching on, you know, what they're calling, you know, coordination, in their words, uh, with the teachers union. Yes. Um, But in their statement, I mean, the district did also allude to some other kind of recent reporting um, that the RJ has done, which, uh, you know, we recently found that more than a dozen legislators, um, most of them Democrats, had connections to organizations that um, received uh, millions in, in funding from the state this last legislative session. So uh, the district, you know, kind of also taking aim at Speaker Yeager there and saying that he's distracting from those issues by meddling in the affairs of the district, in their words. Yeah, I mean, a lot of tea. You know, <laughs> tend to your own house, my friend, seemed to be the clapback. MJ, you're, you're pretty expert at reading tea leaves once spilt. What what do you think is really going on here with the timing, with Jaeger kind of taking this very public position, uh, asking for Jara to, to go bye-bye? I honestly have not had a good read on Speaker Jaeger in a while. It's probably because I haven't really been able to get any media requests granted from him or any, any reviews from him. So I haven't had really a good Oof. understanding of, of where his mind is at for this entire year throughout the session. But yeah, I'm still kind of taken back with the response, not just like, that Yara, Jara is going to like stay where he's at. But this the uh, keep your own house in order. Like, I can't get over that. Like, it's like, a, that's not, I'm not making that up. That's like a quote from the <laughs> release. It, um, he has his hands full for trying to keep his own, his, his house in order. Like, um, it's just baffling. That was the response that they went with. Um, I understand the second, the first part of like, uh, yeah, we're, he's not going anywhere. This is kind of our own thing. But this the the direct attack. And I wonder if that was even fair. I mean, you know, with all due respect to the RJ's reporting uh, on the uh, potential conflict of interest uh, for the mostly Democrat legislators, I'm going to say reading that, you know, some of those quote unquote connections were a lot of weak sauce. Some of them were totally legit. You know, wow, this is intriguing. But, you know, oh, I was on a board 20 years ago and now mm-hmm. I'm voting on this uh, so-called Christmas tree bill that they do every session. 
uh, seem to be a little weak or like I used to be in Teach for America as a teacher uh, <laughs> and now I'm helping Teach for America help the education system in our uh, I, I, is that something that Jaeger is actually worried about? And and that clapback was totally fair. Was that fair clapback? And I th- I think that's you know a fair point to raise. You know, in our reporting, we tried to be you know as fair as possible in 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 laying out right like the difference between you know legislators who are paid in their roles with these organizations versus you know the proximity to yeah. And, and I'm not and, asking and, you to defend the reporting that's going your thing. I'm just wondering is like that's the shot that Jara right, and and absolutely. the CCSD decided to push back on. I mean, what do you make of that? Absolutely. And I think, right, I, I think, you know, to your point in the context of our reporting, I don't know that we ever anticipated this would become, you know, kind of a point of conversation in the kind of back and forth between the state and the school district, right? I mean, I think the proximity to just the timing of the reporting, absolutely, um, you know, I think uh, it's in the news cycle. So, you know, anyone is free to comment on it. But right, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of lobbying it, just kind of in, in their response to Jaeger calling for jar to step down there's so many things at play um and it just seems like this is just one of them but it, you know it has seemed like this kind of relationship and some of the tensions that kind of are belying what's going on here um have been building for months and and you know are, are not obviously just exclusive to this reporting right yeah i mean mj i think it was a, a little bit of bravado to say you know hey jaeger uh, look how you're spending stuff when the CCSD just got billions of dollars. I, I mean, <laughs> MJ, is there a title shift going on here? Uh, are the tables actually turning on Jara this time for realsies? Uh, someone mentioned to me recently that uh, it's always the scandal you don't think that will be your undoing. It's always like the one thing that everyone th- thinks it's going to be this one huge issue. And for that, it's kind of everything that's happening with the teacher union contract. But it's actually going to be the smallest thing. It's a cyber, the cyber attack and the scandal around that. That's going to be his undoing. So I don't know. History has shown that it's like the minor issues that develop usually can be contributed to someone's undoing. Like... Maybe this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, we didn't even mention the cyber attack. I mean, that that is like part of Jaeger's like, here are the following reasons why, Jara, you've got to go. I didn't see a mention of them, uh, CCSD, arguing in court to prevent the release of records and videotape of an officer body slamming a child. Um, uh, that was not in the mention of reasons why people are upset of Jesus Jara, but that's a long list of things that have happened this year. So, I mean, to the point, I mean, Jara was called up to the legislature to account for exactly that incident. Right? Yeah. But, He's called um, up a couple right, times. So it seems like, <laughs> right, right. And so it seems like there's a whole host of things, right, I think that the state could have pulled from to kind of outline in their statement and, and the district as well, right? So I think, right, there's a lot at, at play here, like I keep saying, but it's kind of up to them as far as what they're going to kind of choose to hone in on when they're kind of you know, responding to one another publicly in this way. It, it is weird when the principal gets called to the principal's office. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, hey, Jara, now you got to answer to us. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm expecting that the casinos are going to be taking bets soon about Jara's exit date. Uh, but I wonder if uh, the even money bet is that he just stays exactly where he is. I guess we'll just keep looking at the board. All right. Third topic, 
water, water everywhere. Um, looks like Channel 8 has released that list that we see all the time. Usually it comes out in the spring, but they made a special request uh, to see who the biggest water users, some may say abusers, in the Valley are. Now, that is a list of 100 people. It, it kind of gives their property. They they do this for a lot of different reasons, from what I understand. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a shame-shame list, but it is a public record availability. And when that list comes out, you know, sometimes we see the same names. Obviously, uh, the Water District is interested in reducing water use as much as possible because of everything, Colorado River, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. Do you think that these lists of putting out the the biggest users has any impact in the community or, or helps us with water? I always think it's good to be in the know about who's doing this, but the next question becomes about accountability. It's always interesting when we stress about the conservation of resources, like whether it's water or energy, it's always about personal responsibility and how households need to take the personal responsibilities of what they can do. When we see it's not just individual everyday households, it's always like big names, it's always those. And so I think the question becomes about not just publishing these lists, what are we doing as a state to actually hold people accountable. And so if we we keep doing these lists, which I think are beneficial, I think that we have to see some actually uh, account. We have to see some consequences for the same people on these lists and ask lawmakers that could implement these consequences why they have not uh, done so. Right. I don't think you're ever going to hear a journalist, you know, uh, advocate against accountability, of course. I mean, it's great for us to know who the top water users are, but I think in their story, Channel 8 pointed out, right, that I think it's Floyd May- Mayweather up from the 80th or so spot in 2020 and now up in the 30s, right? So uh, to, to MJ's point, you know, publishing the list, I think, is is only one step. But in terms of, right, educating the public about what are the accountability measures beyond this, I think would go a long way, um, you know, in addition to educating them about who these water users are. Yeah, I mean, we we talked with Bronson Mack over at the Water District, and he explained that they try to be fair with all this. They don't just arbitrarily put the list together, and they have these conversations. And sometimes the people do call in and say, "Oh, how can I how can I fix this?" Or, "Oh, I've got this big leak or whatever." But I mean, most of these people on the list, I mean, we're we're definitely seeing it. They're they're wealthy, and they do get fined when they they do the excessive water use. Should they be able to just kind of pay their way out of it? <laughs> you know, is 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 it in any way a, a bigger like I don't know impact that we should be thinking about when we see these these names on this particular list? Well, so far, paying their way out hasn't really changed behaviors, and so that brings back the question: if this is not changing behaviors, and we're still seeing the same names, and we're not uh, seeing the results that we want. What are those in power going to do to actually uh, up the ante, if you will, and uh, do something more that brings actual accountability? Yeah. You know, and the one name I see always on the top list, and it's almost become like a local joke, is the Sultan of Brunei is always like at the top <laughs> of the list. And it's like, you know, next time I run into Sultan Brunei over at like Walgreens, <laughs> I'm going to have a word with him. But I guess it's actually not even him anymore, that it might be like connected to his family. And the Water District cleared that up too. So, you know, don't we, we don't need to dox the Sultan this time per se. <laughs> but, you know, let's have a little fun with this, though. I mean, if if you were one of those Richie Riches uh, and and you had this like I- expansive 
uh, area and you could waste all the water <laughs> that you wanted, what would be the most irresponsible, outrageous waste of water at a Las Vegas home that you you could imagine? This is a really hard question for me as someone who, I mean, grew up here and grew up in the Southwest. I mean, like, you just cannot get me to waste <laughs> any more water. <laughs> then, like, I'm someone who, like, from a young age, I really bought into the education of do not brush your teeth with the faucet running, you know? And to this day, it's like a real sticking point for me. So this is an extremely difficult question for me. I did drive by uh, the Cowabunga Water Park, I believe Mm. it is, um, just kind of on the west side. Um, It was just really called back to like my days of, going to wet and wild and the water park and yeah. So you're putting a water park in the backyard. I mean, that's, that's kind of what that I, I, growing up, that's what I have to say. I think, I mean, full scale. Yeah. A full scale, old school, wet and wild, you know, um, the old casino water parks that used to exist. You know, uh, I think if, if I have to do something, yeah, everyone go to Lorraine's house, hit their (laughs) Stuka. (laughs) MJ. uh, how about just a lawn? Because we can't do those anymore, right? So <laughs> <laughs> just, just very modestly just, a lawn. Just give me a backyard with some grass. Can I have that? <laughs> like, oh I'm my a, god! I don't want much. This is what it's like to live in the Southwest. Just even grass is something that we we miss and would be so nice to have in our yards. You know. All right, me. I'm gonna have a 24 seven ice rink in the backyard wow. and have an open invitation for any of the gold knights <laughs> to do a little workout. And oh, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna fire up the zamboni, and I am set. I'll be in your backyard watching. But there you go. Yeah, we'll make it a whole thing, and then I can convert it to F1 later. Uh, MJ, <laughs> Lorraine, thank you so much for joining us today on CityCast Las Vegas. Great to have you on the Friday News Roundup. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson. Our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editors are Adrian Gonzalez and Scott Dickensheets. And I'm your host, David Figler. Special thanks to producer Lizzie Goldsmith. Music is by OG Moose, Epidemic Sound, and All the Kimonos. We record the show on the traditional homelands of the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, go tell a friend. Leave us a review too and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Till then, stay lucky, everybody. The voices in his head. The voices in my head are talking, y'all. It's not even Sonia. It's Charlie Manson.